0: Listening to the Down the Pole Podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepole.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So, uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pole Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Abbott. Uh, on this episode, I'm joined by a journalist and now author, uh, Barry Landy. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Great, 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 great. Um, so you've just released a, a brilliant new book, uh, Emerald Exiles, How the Irish Made Their Mark on World Football. What was the inspiration
1: behind uh, writing the book? Um, well, I guess it's something that I've been interested in for quite a long time, maybe around a decade now at this point. Um, just it, it was it was something that kind of came to me. Um, I'd actually seen uh, a website online and it was called Beef, and it was a blog that focused on um, English footballers all around the world. And I just really liked the idea. And I got chatting to the guy who ran it and, um, you know, he was covering so many disparate uh, players in so many disparate parts of the world. And, and, you know, top tier players like David Beckham, all the way down to guys playing in the fourth division of the Icelandic league and, and everything in between. So I thought, that's a really interesting idea. I must check whether there's many Irish guys doing that. And lo and behold, uh, there was, um, even at the time and throughout history. like We obviously know famous ones like Liam Brady back at uh, Juventus and in Syria during the 80s and, and, and other people like that. But um, so many actually you don't know about. And they're high-profile players who we maybe know from the international team or we know from their time in England and Scotland who had little stints away. And then there's other guys who were maybe sort of journeyman footballers in the football league or uh, League of Ireland pros who went abroad and, and tried something different. Um, so, yeah, all of a sudden I kept discovering these interesting stories and, and I thought there's definitely something here because I love hearing about just different things. There's, you know, I think the main one of the main tenets of the book as well is the fact that we don't talk about guys who've played in England yeah, because in the what's the point? yeah we know we know we know about roy Keane. we know about um all these guys who've played in the premier league through the ages and even before that even the likes of people like johnny giles at leeds and etc etc et so we know about them but what about all the guys who've gone somewhere a little bit different and maybe haven't gone down the, the well-trodden path so that really interested me so essentially uh long story short Um, I had a a blog myself, a website, where I would interview uh, players from all around the world, um, Irish people, and, you know, a Twitter account and all that kind of stuff. And I ran that for a few years. And I actually wasn't doing it for a while because just time, you know, these things, they're little hobbies and sometimes you just don't get uh, enough time as, as you want to dedicate to it. So I put it aside and last year I got a random email from a publisher uh who was aware of the twitter accounts and the website from five six years ago and they said they really liked the idea for a book would you be interested in writing a book so it's not something you can turn down anthony to be honest it's one of them like (laughs) this has just fallen into my lap i can't (laughs) turn this down so um no it's been it's been crazy actually and i really enjoyed it because it's a subject matter that's that's so interesting I, I can just imagine every
0: uh, aspiring author out there now who's like sent their manuscripts off to like so many publishing houses. I knew you, jammy Bastard, <laughs> I
1: got a phone call. Yeah, to I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I'm so like, I, I, I keep saying that every day. In fact, every time I talk to anyone at the, at the publisher of New Island Books, I'm I'm just so grateful and i'm constantly saying thank you to them thanks so much by the way thank you for this thank you because you know (laughs) i haven't i've I've never written a book proposal i've never sent a manuscript into anyone they essentially had come to me and said we want to publish this book before i had even written a word of a manuscript so that was a big thing as well the fact that they they i knew they wanted it and i knew they were supportive of the idea so that was a big help actually when I was writing the book and I was able to approach people. So people I interviewed in the book, but even people I just spoke to on background, just knowing that I had a publisher behind me, this wasn't a pipe dream project. It wasn't something that may or may not happen. I knew it was happening and that that was a big thing for me as well. But yeah, I know there's lots of people out there. Who probably think I'm a jammy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, um, as you mentioned there there's like a lot of stories that i didn't know about um which are fascinating but like how did you go about researching stuff like how did you like find this these stories that you know uh was it terry conroy when he's playing in hong kong for a team named after a watch and yeah. the, their main rival the main rival was another team named after a watch yeah. But like yeah. h- how did you come across these stories
1: um, a variety of ways, really. Um, I mean, some of them are well-known. So in the book, we cover, as I say, Liam Brady. We cover Robbie Keane's time in, in at Inter Milan, then later at LA Galaxy. So they're obviously well-known to people. And there's a lot of contemporary players as well in the book. So the likes of Killian Sheridan, who's probably Ireland's most globe-trotty, if you want to say <laughs> that's the word, and footballer. and He's been everywhere. And, and, you know, there's lots of players who've been... Are either playing abroad now or have in recent years that we're all pretty much familiar with. I think most most Irish football fans. And then, as you say, there are the older stories. Um, Terry Conroy is actually someone I would have been familiar with because I did my degree in Stoke at Staffordshire University. Ah. and Terry Terry Conroy is a Stoke City legend. Um, over there, he's he's part of probably their greatest ever team that won the League Cup back in nineteen seventy two. And he's, he still lives in Stoke, um, you know, having moved there from Dublin as, as a young man, still lives there, still does ambassadorial work for the club, I think, at least up to COVID anyway. So I had met Terry a couple of times when I was out of university, so I was aware of him. I knew that he played out in Hong Kong and he actually wrote a, an autobiography uh, a couple of years ago as well, which kind of touches on it as well. So there was a little bit of information there and a little bit of an, a door into into Terry's career. Um, but there's so many other stories like we go the book sort of spans if you if you start at the start we kind of go from early 20th century through to now so at the, the turn of the early 20th century we cover three particular stories so there's um Jack Kerwin, who was the Wicklow born um all Ireland football championship winner with Dublin uh, who went on to become the first manager of Ajax which ev- whenever I talk to anyone about the book and they say oh you know this story was interesting. That this That's the one that comes up the most as the one that kind of blows people's mind because we know Ajax as this absolute giant of a club who've won European Cups and Johan Cruyff and all the great Ajax teams and, and the, the kind of Dutch players throughout throughout them the last 40, 50 years. And so for when it turns out an Irishman was the first coach of, of that historic club, uh, it tends to blow people's minds a little bit. And that story is kind of, it's not well-known, but it's kind of out there. Like it's, it's, it's a historical record that Jack Irwin is the the first coach of Ajax. So if you go looking for it, you'll find it. Um, I'm trying to actually think how I first discovered that. I'm not entirely sure. I just, I know it from years ago. It's just one of those little facts that I knew, but you know, there's other ones as well. Like a reasonably well-known one would be Patrick O'Connell at Barcelona um, the man who saved FC Barcelona is the name of the book that his um, his granddaughter wrote about him. Um, and you know he won the, uh, the La Liga title in 1935, if I'm not mistaken, with Real Betis. And today, to this day, that's still their first and only La Liga title. I mean, it's an incredible achievement, absolutely incredible. And it's only in recent years that Patrick O'Connell's story has become what it really should back home here in Ireland and especially in Dublin. I know the Dublin City Council did a big um, thing on him. They unveiled a plaque outside one of his childhood homes. Um, and I know they did a big historical series on him. And, you know, um, I think FC Barcelona have unveiled a bust. And I think Real Betis have a painting. That might be the other way around. But it's, it's kind of only in, in recent years that we've started to remember actually what he did. Uh, and what he achieved in the game which is absolutely extraordinary from this guy from from Dublin an Irish international um so yeah the, there're stories like that that are just kind of known but not well known if that makes sense yep. and i just you know you yep. have to kind of go digging for it but you'll you'll easily find it i mean if you google patrick o'connell you, you'll you'll read about him that kind of way but um there's other stories like lesser known ones as well like jim donnelly you'll have read that went on to manage the the turkey national team he coached yep. into Milan, and he almost became the 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 head coach of the great Austrian Wunder team, were it not for the breakout of the Second World War. I mean, incredible stories, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like the, the, the Jack Kerwin one, like,
0: I'm a Tottenham fan, so uh, mm. I, I didn't realise about the little, like, that you played for Tottenham. Like, I, I kind of have heard of the Jack kerwin Ajax thing, but I didn't realise that he played for Tottenham, and obviously Tottenham are the only team to win the FA Cup outside of, the major uh, divisions in 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 England so it was just really fascinating to me like to to hear these stories but normally in Ireland we jump on these kind of things you know what I mean like you would think that like like they're only putting the plaques to these guys now and all that kind of stuff like so are, are you kind of proud of yourself in the way that you're keeping these stories like taking along that people will probably like kind
1: of forgotten? Sure, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the good things about this book is that it's it's not necessarily a history book. It's not necessarily a book, you know, based on sort of oldy, timey footballers. Because I think <laughs> for a lot of football fans, that can actually put them off. Because they go, oh, you know, it's full of black and white photos or it's it's a bit old, old school for me. But this is a book that spans over 100 years um, in football history. So there's something there for everyone. So I mean, uh, you know, a young a young kid or a teenager or a person in their twenties or, or even early thirties, you know, could pick this up, and and read about players they're familiar with, contemporary players, but also pick up a bit of knowledge about the more historical figures in, in Irish football. So um, yeah, I I think it is good actually, and it's just good to shine that that light as well because we're kind of becoming a little bit more detached from that era of football as well. You know, we're, we're sort of in the the Premier League. <laughs> like I mean, you'll know we're in this era era where a lot of people don't consider football to have existed prior to 1992, so <laughs> I mean, it's it's a bit much then to to expect people to be familiar with guys from the early 1900s. So um yeah, I think anything we can do to keep those stories alive is a good one.
0: Yeah, it's it's as I said, like it's just a it was just amazing to me. Like I hadn't I didn't know about Patrick O'Connell and the fact that you say Barcelona was it was incredible. But I I think what one of the big things I've, I've come from this is that um a, a lot of people still like to keep that irishness about them um despite the fact that they've kind of traveled the world like there's always that kind of like uh, did, did you feel that through the research that like we are really home but i know a lot of people say that about irish people that like you know we're all homebodies and we spread out to the four corners of the world but did you get that sense yourself when you were researching everything
1: yeah it's really funny you actually touch on on that particular thing every time I interview somebody, I always ask them, um, you know, are are you the sort of person that likes to travel? Did you always want to travel, you know, and see the world and and, and go to far far, fun places? And every single one of them, bar none, says no. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I'm talking to to a guy, I'm talking to a guy in Cambodia, I'm talking to a guy in Australia, I'm talking to a guy in, in Burma, wherever they are i say did you, did you always want to travel no not really and they say i'm a home bird and they go i'm ai i love my home comforts i love being at home you know ireland is great i love always trying to get back i was like well what are you doing out there then and they go i don't know and and it always kind of comes back to to, to football almost and football just being the most transient job you can imagine you know football will take people to all these different places places they'll never imagine to go to and um, be it just circumstance be it for a good contract might be money because you know there are people in the book that, that say look i got offered good money to go to this place did i like living there no did it suit me no miss my family of course but well, i was on good money so i went um so yeah it, it's really interesting actually like most of the people there would have said, no, no, I never would have envisaged going, going abroad. But what's interesting about that as well is, Anthony, Like, you need to understand, these are Irish people, okay? So we grew up, in football terms, we grew up on a diet of English football, even before the Premier League. We are all watching, we all supported Man United, Liverpool, Leeds, Everton, Arsenal, you know, whoever. That's who everyone supported, if you didn't support a League of Ireland team. And even if you did, you probably support an English team anyway. So our view of football was it's 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 in England, that's where we need to go, or maybe Celtic in in Scotland. That's where we need to go, that's where the action is, that's where the the dream is to play there. So for a lot of these people, why would it cross their minds to go and and play in the continent Europe, you know, uh, Europe or like especially, it would never have crossed many people's minds to go to Australia or America. Um, okay, may, I know obviously Johnny Giles and a couple of people went out to the NASL when it kind of launched in the 70s, but that kind of fell apart then. There was nothing in the 80s and then the MLS then came along in the 90s again. But at the time, those kind of leagues were very underdeveloped and why would you swap England? Why would you swap the security of of playing maybe in the top two, maybe even three divisions in England? To go and play in some godforsaken leagues that you know you never see and you don't know if it's any good, but nowadays you know with TV and with the, the internet we can see every league in the world. We we know what's happening. We can. I, I spoke to Roy O'Donovan for the book, for example, the former Cork City striker, and he got offered a contract after a year in um, Brunei, a contract to go out to Indonesia, and he's kind of going, oh, "I don't know." So he just he'd never heard of the place, so we googled it. He looked it up on Google because that's what you can do now. You can look it up on Google. And, you know, Roy will tell you if he was here, it didn't work out very well because it turned out the images... The images he was looking up on Google were old images. They weren't new images, and the place that he went to wasn't as nice as it looked on the computer. But it just... At least that option is, that. that's a rare example, but that option is open to you, that you can actually, you're aware of other leagues and you're aware of other places and globalization in general, you know, we're all traveling more, we're all, you know, yourself probably more than anyone, you know, we're all sort of hopping on a plane, going and living in another corner of the world. That's available to us more than ever now, more people are doing it. So um, I, th- I guess that's just a natural kind of occurrence really with with, with time. So, so do you feel like that the the lack of opportunities now for, for
0: Irish people in the Premier League, especially like the, the national team, is kind of struggling because players can't get into the the, the top teams, to probably because of the influx of uh, foreign players from different parts of Europe and the world. Do you think we're going to see more of that transient thing where Irish people are going to like have to have to
1: more than anything to, to go play abroad? I hope so. I hope so, Um, because there are really good recent examples of it being a good thing. Um, Josh Cullen being a great example. So Josh Cullen is the only member of the Irish squad at the moment that doesn't play in uh, the UK. And, you know, he was a young player at West Ham, you know, couldn't get a kick, wasn't really getting in the first-team squad, had been out on several loans in League 1, League 2, was probably set to go on another loan to the championship this time. You know, he was going up every year on League 1, I'm League, uh, League, oh, sorry, League 2, League 1, then next was the championship. And that's all very well and good. But he got an opportunity to go to Belgium with, and play under Vincent Company at a huge club, Anderlecht, who probably have aspirations to get back into the Champions League and get back to the top of, of Belgian football. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? You could do that or you could go and you could join Middlesbrough on a six-month loan deal and go up and play in Middlesbrough. I mean, it, it kind of seems like a no-brainer. And look, for, for Josh Cullen, that's worked out really well. Um, He has played, I think they've played 18 or 19 games this season in league and cup and European football. And he's played every single minute of every single game. He wow. is as key to that team as anyone. And for Vincent company... A guy of his pedigree, what an amazing player! A huge name in world football to hang his hat on a young Irish lad. I know he was was born in 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 England, uh, in Essex, I think. But you know, an Irish young Irish international, hang his hat on him and say, "This is my guy. He's the linchpin of my team. He's the star of my midfield. I need him to play. He makes my team tick." That's a big thing, and a lot of players don't take that leap. I I don't think. Okay, you could say, oh, well, opportunities like that don't come around too often. Fair. They probably don't. But when they do, you need to open your eyes to it. You need to open your eyes because these opportunities are there and it's whether the player or the player's agent is willing to go, you know what, England is not a be-all and end-all. I could actually go and have a really good career on the continent. I mean, it's Anderlecht's. It's a, it's a big team in a, in a, in a pretty decent league. Not a, not a great league, but a pretty decent league. And I would hazard a guess that Josh Cullen could probably, after 18 months in the Anderlecht first team, get a move to an even bigger club now at this point. I would hazard a guess there are probably teams in the bottom half of the Premier League that would take a punt on Josh Cullen. He's a good midfielder. I think I'm a Manchester United fan. I think he's the kind of player. I'm not (laughs) saying Josh Cullen to Man United, but he's the kind of player that they could do with in midfield because they desperately need a midfielder who could hold on to the ball. And he can do that. So, you know, he'd be nowhere near that status. I'm not even entirely sure he'd be that big of a player for Stephen Kenny if he was scrambling around in the bottom half of the championship, sort of playing at the same level as Jason Malumby or someone else. So it's a big thing. And, I don't know if you saw the goal, but um, Zach Elbazedi, who used to play in the League of Ireland and um, had a brief spell at Lincoln and played for the under 21s under Stephen Kenny, scored an absolute cracker for AIK in Stockholm um, yes. yesterday. So yeah. he joined Stockholm earlier in the summer um, from Lincoln and um, it didn't really work out from there. And he's done absolutely tremendously. He scored twice, two absolutely brilliant goals. Yesterday was his first league goal. I like. Goal of the season contender absolutely amazing. If anyone hasn't seen it, look it up, it's on the Emerald Exos Twitter. Um, like he's doing really good stuff now. He hasn't been called back up to the senior squad or anything like that, but he's got to be he can't be too far away. Stephen Kenny's picking guys at the bottom half of the championship at the top half of League One. This guy is right in the mix to win a title in Sweden in the top flight. And like he's playing for AIK yesterday in front of 15,000 people. And that's not even their, you know, capacity. You know, he, like that, that, that's a, it's a big level. And he's playing in a, in a actually in an AIK team that has Mikael Lustig formerly of Celtic yep. and Seb Larson, the Swedish international who everyone will be familiar with from the premier league. It's a high level. He's playing against good te- uh, good players. He's playing with good players and he's gone and he's doing something a little bit different and i know actually as well he's currently working on uh working on his swedish nothing to do with football necessarily but that's a big thing as well because i i just think when you go to a foreign country what okay so let's say the the opportunity comes up and you're weighing up your your considerations some of the considerations are probably mm, foreign country, different culture, um, language, don't speak it, um, or oh, it's cold. Maybe up in Sweden, a bit colder than I'm used to. Okay, the last one, notwithstanding, obviously you don't want to be too cold. But <laughs> the other two, the other two, they're not negatives; they're positives for young people. The opportunity to go and apply your trade in a foreign country where you can experience a new culture and where you can learn a new language is good for you. It's a good thing. You're getting out of your comfort zone and you're you're learning things off the pitch and you're learning about yourself, about independence. You know, if if, if, if he comes away from Sweden after two years or three years or however long he spends there, this is Bazetti, and has won a title or has won a cup, and can speak Swedish fairly decently and has experienced a new culture and has made lots of new friends and and people he never would have met otherwise. Great. That's a good thing. And it forms him as a human being as well. And that's what I found right in the book as well. The, The players who went and actually experienced things outside of that comfort zone, outside of the UK, outside of Ireland, who went off on their own and did it, they, they grew as people so, so much in that time as well. And it made them better people. And there are there so many myriad knock-on benefits to that, that it, it's hard to say, oh, you know, don't do it, or you shouldn't do it, or you should stay in England. Like, as I said to you a few minutes ago, there's a whole world out there, a whole world. And I would encourage Irish players, if they get the chance to go to a decent league, go and experience it go and live it so so do you think that there's an inherent snobbery sometimes with the
0: selection policies that Irish managers have like I mean as you mentioned like you know he's in Sweden he's doing his thing Josh Cullen like is getting into the team you now we've got Jake Mulraney and Derek Williams in the MLS and and like which are, it's a, I would say probably a higher level than you know like league one in 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 England you know do you think that's that's part of the issue that we kind of like we kind of look down
1: our nose at the fact that these guys aren't playing in England. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I absolutely definitely think so with Stephen Kenny, it- it's a little harder to say, obviously Josh, like because he- his squad is in a different place to previous squads. So he almost had to start from scratch when he came in, you know, so many new players, younger players, guys, he had in the under 21s. So Colin, the and Anderlecht is a bit of an outlier there. Um, but, you know, I think there's a growing sort of consensus online, which is, you know, you can take it or leave it, that maybe Bazetti should be in there and why isn't he in there? I, I think we're probably okay. attacking midfielders or wingers. We're not too badly, you know, stacked for them. I think we're okay. So he might have to bite his time a little bit. Um, I think Derek Williams has actually been close a few times recently, but he just hasn't quite made it. I don't think playing for LA Galaxy is ruling him out necessarily but he's probably he's probably dropped down the Peck order. I would say I think he would have had a much better chance if he was still playing for Blackburn for example or yeah. a Bristol City that he was at previously I think he'd he'd probably be in more squads and um, I don't think he's a starting player for Ireland anyway but he, he'd be in the conversation a little bit more there's definitely been a snobbery I think that's something you can you could put to, to Martin O'Neill Um. We interviewed Killian Sheridan for the book, and Killian was brilliant on this. Um, obviously he only won two caps for the Republic of Ireland back in 2010 when he was a Celtic, um, under Giovanni Capitoni, um, that was it. Just prior, actually, to when he first went on loan to CSK Sofia in Bulgaria, but you know he Killian went on to play for Apoel Nicosia. You'll remember the Champions League group stage in 2014 when it was Apoel Barcelona, Ajax, and PSG, right? And up front, incredible. Like, (laughs) oh my God, like the group of death, like it doesn't even do it justice, really. And and up front for Raphael Nicosia is this big, tall, strangly Irish fellow with a big beard and long hair called Killian Sheridan, who'd only really previously ever played in or ever scored goals in in, in the Scottish league for Kilmarnock. Incredible. Number one, Killian would never have got that opportunity. To like realistically, you know, Celtic let him go. He was he was playing for sort of mid-table teams in Celtic in in Scotland. He'd never got that opportunity if he hadn't joined a team like Apoel. Never got the opportunity to, to be on the same field as Messi and and Neymar and all these guys playing for for the very very top teams in, in the world. Um, was an opportunity he would never had had he not taken that that plunge. But just on the international question, he he was really good on this because he was playing at a high level. Champions League football, I think at the time he was the only Irishman playing in the group stage of the Champions League that season. We don't have many. I think Keeveen Kelleher is the only Irishman this season and he's the reserve keeper for Liverpool. He doesn't even play but he's in a squad. Um, So Killeen was playing at a high level, scoring goals for Applewell. He went to Amani and Nicosia uh, also in Cyprus. They weren't playing Champions League, they were playing Europa League level but still a decent level and scoring loads of goals for them. Was not getting a look in under Martin O'Neill and Martin O'Neill was asked about this and he was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on him, we'll keep an eye on him. He wasn't. He was picking guys, he was picking strikers, you know, who were playing in the championship, you couldn't hit a, a bound or, you know, with, like, it was It was kind of ridiculous actually and listen, I, I obviously cover these players and, and I, I follow all their exploits and I cover them quite closely and I know a lot of them quite personally. I'm not suggesting for a second that Tillian Sheridan was the solution to Ireland's striking problems. I'm not saying he's the heir apparent of Robbie Key. He, he isn't. If he was here now, he'd tell himself, he'd laugh at you and say, Don't be <laughs> good one. but like he would. Like I mean, he knows what he is. And all these players know what they are. Okay. But like <laughs> he he should have got a chance. The notion that this the only Irish player playing at a, at the Champions League group stage level, scoring goals in the Cypriot League, playing at a, at a high level, couldn't even get a in a, in a 40-man squad is, is ridiculous. And Martin O'Neill, actually, I mentioned it in the book. There, there's a, a press conference. Martin O'Neill unveils a 40-man squad around the time of this Champions League group stage. And um, so, someone, someone, you know, references, oh, it's a very big squad, Martin. And he goes, yeah, I think I pretty much picked every, every Irish football player uh, except Paul McGrath, right, like as a joke. Martin O'Neill's making one of his bad jokes, which he did regularly. He's not comedian. Yeah. Um, And he made this joke. And, you know, I asked Killian about that. And he actually, and Killian's an incredibly chill person. He's one of the funniest, most oh. laid back guys you'll ever ever talk to. His insight is incredible. It's amazing. He's yeah. so funny. Yeah. But I asked him about that. And he was like, yeah, that offended me. And that surprised me when he said that to me, because he doesn't seem like an easily offended guy, as you'll know from, from his social media. But he said, yeah, I didn't like that. He thought he like a 40-man squad, and he couldn't get in it? And a, a, a big thing about these, are what I've learned from, from interviewing these kind of players over the years and writing this book, is that actually, and, and it's, it's something that comes up a lot, we ask, you know, in modern football, when... Club football reigns supreme. It's the big thing, right? And, you know, they get paid so much money. Do the players really give a shit about international football? Do they care? Yes, is the answer. Killian was desperate to get in the Ireland squad. Desperate to get in. So much so, in fact, when he left Cyprus to join a team in Poland, uh, Jagiellina, I can never pronounce it, Jagalonia Bialystok. There you go. Um, when he went to join Jag- Jagalonia uh, he did so because he felt joining the Polish league would give him a better chance to get him back in the Ireland squad he thought the Polish league was a stronger league and he felt yeah and they were playing in the Europa League at the time I think and he told me that's the reason I went I tried to get back in the Ireland squad and he never did because Martin O'Neill's not picking or Mick McCarthy they're not picking guys in the Polish league and what was interesting at the time when he went there amazing form he was flying he was scoring goals left right and center and he told me that if he was polish he'd have been called up to the polish national squad because the polish international team and setup are very good at that if someone's doing well in the in the polish domestic league they'll call them up to the squad now you're not going to get in ahead of robert Lewandowski, but you'll be in the squad yeah and he he's convinced if if he was polish he'd have been in that squad but because he was Irish and playing in Poland, not interested. They didn't want to look at him, and I, I, you know that's. You know, I, it, does, it, it just feels
0: that. It just feels to me that like it's uh, like sometimes beggars can't be choosers. I don't. I don't mean that to be disparaging of killing whatsoever, but it just seems to me like that. It, it's just this perception, like even like trying to get a League of Ireland player into the squad. Like obviously it's better with Stephen Kenny now, but I mean, when Martin O'Neill was in charge and trying to get the best of the League of Ireland in there, like sometimes you want to get a token person in it. it just the way that the, our team is right now, like why not take a chance on them in a friendly or, you know,
1: there's so many friendlies now, you know, it's, it's incredible to me. Um but, we've, we've, we've seen it as an sorry as well. We've, just, we've seen it a few times where a player will leave the League of Ireland and go to England. Almost instantly, they were gonna call him. I was like, "It's the same player. <laughs> it's, it's the same guy who was in Ireland five minutes ago. When you call him up then?" But it's the way it is. So, uh, one of the one of the big things as well that I, I noticed uh,
0: is the disparity between how women's football is compared to men's football. Women seem to get treated like shit. It's uh, I, I've I've kind of on the podcast I've had some uh some female professionals on the on and just listening to some of their tales of of woe of how they get treated and especially like like somebody as recognizable as stephanie roach of how she was kind of treated um it, it would kind of like put some people i would imagine off taking the plunge to play abroad you know like were you surprised that like the treatment that she got at some of these places especially like on the back of like she was a pretty big sensation after the Puskas Award nomination and like the way she was treated, especially in Houston, was
1: disgusting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and Stephanie, like, I, I should actually say, you know, as well, fair play to Stephanie for talking to me for the book because Stephanie's had a, a great career playing for Ireland and she's done so much for Peanuts United in, in Ireland and, and things like that. So... <laughs> You know when I called Stephanie up and said I, I want to talk to you for my book, I wanted to talk about three things: Houston Dash, her time in France with Albi, and her time in Italy with Florentia. Three things she probably does not want to ever think about ever again. You know, like three of aspects of her career that that she will tell you didn't go well uh, and whatever. But she, you know, she's a great sport, and and she she opened up to me uh, loads about that. And. Um, it's pretty shocking. Like uh, Stephanie's ca- case is, is, is a strange one. It just seems like I, I wouldn't even say the three instances are particularly connected. It, it just seems like a run of bad luck to me that, that these three things just individually kept happening to Stephanie. Um, I, you know, she will tell you the Houston Dash thing was bizarre. And that's just that's just bizarre. Um, because they they talked to R- 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 Randy Waldrum, the uh, the coach at Houston Dash. You know, had been talking her up loads before um, she came. It wasn't his decision, apparently, then to, to, to waive her because of the injuries it was made by the kind of sporting director. Um, so yeah, I don't know, because it, it surprised me I remember at the time because Stephanie seemed so marketable. Yep. You know, she's Irish, she's striker. Uh, there were certain aspects about her. Um, that just sort of screamed, and obviously the, the Puskás Award as well. There were just lots of aspects about it that you thought, oh yes, yeah, she'd be someone who a, a big club would want, even off the pitch. You know, not not to not to be too cynical about it. Obviously, she's a great player, but there were just lots of positives about having Stephanie around, and the way they just discarded her so sort of indiscriminately um, is very strange to me. And even to this day, I'm not quite sure. I, I quite understand it. Whether Stephanie does, I, I don't know either. Then, you know over time in france and italy just um probably the clubs there were small clubs albi's is a small club in france florentia not one of the bigger like florentia to be fair the italian uh, women's serie a is mostly made up of the female teams of established male clubs or male teams so you've got like the juventus women the inter milan women the fiorentina women um florentia were you know a very small club probably not the best organized, probably not the best place for a foreign player to come in and have to depend on the club then for board and, and pay and all this kind of stuff. So um yeah look maybe just jumping you know two foot into into not the best not the best move, I think Stephanie would probably tell you at this point. But um yeah it, it does actually stand to, to to reason as you made the connection there that kind of thing doesn't tend to happen in the men's game much. There just seems to be uh, the women's game. uh, They're just not treated maybe with the the kind of respect or kind of with the professionalism that, that the men have been over years. Maybe that's coming with time. We are seeing the kind of almost rapid professionalism of the women's game now around the world. And that's great. And it's absolutely tremendous. Um, Maybe it will come, hopefully it'll come and it's developing, but it remains to be seen. And it's actually interesting as well. The women, like the female players made up a big part of this book. I'm intrigued now to see how many Irish players continue to do that. How many Irish players turn up in Italy, turn up in the French Bundesliga in Germany, turn up in France maybe, or even go to Scandinavia. Because the big game changer there in the women's game now is the WSL. The yeah. WSL has exploded in the last three or four years, as you know. And especially this year with the Sky deal. WSL is on Sky Sports now every weekend. It's getting the, the Monday night football treatment. It's getting, They have the big studios. They have all the pundits. It's, it's, it's a brilliant product. Absolutely amazing product. And I can just imagine now a lot of women and girls who maybe play in the WNL in Ireland kind of looking over to England and going, I want a piece of that pie. You know, yeah. I want a piece of that. Whereas, whereby before... You might go, oh, you know, there's a second division team in Germany or there's a team in Sweden or Norway I could go to. I think eyes now will turn to England, definitely. Yeah,
0: and I mean, like, the end of is obviously like a, a huge league as well. But, I mean, they're obviously going through this big scandal that's been happening. And then you, you read about Stephanie's uh, situation. So, I mean, it's probably going to put people off going down the state route and probably, as you said, like with the the leagues in Europe starting to, turn the screw a little bit and the, the the big club starting to get in behind their women's team too it's uh i feel like the nwsl is probably going to miss out on an awful lot of uh, uh, big name players
1: that's a, it's a setback yeah i think obviously it will ultimately depend on the status of the senior uh, usa players and what they do because i know obviously they're tied in as well so there's a there's a uh you know a contract situation there in terms of their their status with the national team is also reliant on, on playing their domestic football in the US I don't know whether that could change i potentially could see it maybe changing because as just player power they'll go there's so much endemic issues at play here in the NWSL we don't want to be around here it's a toxic environment we want to go and play in, in Europe or, or wherever and if that happens, and the core of the the players in in that league start to start to go, I I think it will be difficult then for that league to attract the best sort of European talent, especially maybe English or Irish. Obviously, Denise and and Diana are out there now at the minute, but um, how long they stay there, I I I don't know. So uh,
0: obviously, I'm based here in Canada, and we just started our own professional league here like uh, three years ago and uh, we actually have an ex-Irish under-21 player playing here, Joe Mason, he was playing for MK Dons. Uh, ha- have you heard anything about the uh, the Canadian Premier League uh, back home? Yeah, well,
1: I, I have, I follow it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I follow it. I think he scored uh, the winner in the 1-0 against yep. the Pacific, yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's his seventh goal of the season. I know he had been injured for about a month or six weeks prior to that, so he missed a fair chunk of it, but... They're doing well now, they're in the playoffs. So, um, hopefully, that's oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have some uh, Irish involvement in the end of season playoffs <laughs> and maybe a winner. It's good, Anthony, as you, you yeah. Well, uh, I'm in Halifax and their
0: team got knocked out yesterday. So, uh, oh. I, I'm rolling behind Joe on this one. I'm going to go to come full you Boys and Green thing on it. Well, uh, nice. obviously, obviously, here in North America, like the, the opportunities, like in the men's game, is, uh, is exploding. You've got the USL. Um you obviously got the MLS. Um, one of my favorite parts of the book was uh the the, the section that you wrote on uh, the great Richie Ryan, who's um a prime example of the reason to, to move abroad because like you know, he ended up here in Canada playing for Ottawa Fury, had a great time there, and now he's down in El Paso and he's made such a great life from him down himself down there. I've talked to him on the podcast. So do, do you think that? America for for the men's side of it is going to be a much bigger opportunity going into the future. Obviously, you've got uh, the scholarship system. If there's there's guys in like Niall Logue who went through the, the system who plays for Memphis right now on loan from El Paso, and there's a there's a guy called Aaron Malloy, Trevor Malloy's son, plays uh, who was at Penn State. Like, do you think that's
1: going to be a big part of uh, the future for for Irish players? Huge, huge. Um. Like, I don't see any reason why an Irish player would not consider that option that's available to them, just given the the sort of professionalism and, and how big it is on scale, you know, like the college sports system, football system, and then obviously what's what's huge in America now is, as you say, an ever-expanding USL. The USL, I think, is key. Like Richie Ryan, as he'll have told you, Anthony, you know, his big dream was getting to MLS, and it was kind of taken away from him. He never quite made MLS, but he had a really good career in, in the other leagues. Um, and he's had a great time out there and he's made a home for himself and his family. Um, but there's actually a growing number. If you look at the USL um, Championship and League One now, there is actually a growing number of Irish players dotted around different teams. I'm almost discovering them on a, on a weekly basis. I, was, I didn't know he was there or he's just gone there. Okay. So all these different teams, they're just there's more and more opportunity now for a professional career away from Ireland in, you know, a really developed infrastructure wise, maybe money wise league. That's just a little bit more, you can hang your hat on a little bit more solid than, than maybe things in Ireland or maybe the very, very low leagues in England. Um, yeah, Aaron Malloy, as you say, is doing great work. Like he, he was, he was a sensation at Penn State, and he's gone to uh, Fort Madison now. And I think he's been in the team of the week six or seven times this season. Like incredible. Like he and some of the goals he scored. Again, if you haven't seen the goals, you need to look them up online. He's scored some belters this year. Um, but you know, and there's more coming now with the new uh, USL League uh, Two, which is coming on track. I think next year, 2022. Um, I know Eamon Zayed is the new coach of the hailstorm. North Car- North,
0: yeah, North Car- uh, North Colorado. I had him on the show there uh, a couple of weeks ago, oh, and really? uh, it's it's such an amazing uh, um, project for him to be part of. It's like literally starting a team from the ground up. Um, I, it's mm. it's going to be exciting to see how that goes, and if if many Irish players end up uh, in North Colorado.
1: <laughs> I think I I would. Anthony, if not that you can walk into a bookmakers and, you know, and ask for this bet, but I would put money on at least one Irish player being on the roster at Eamon Zayed's um, North Carolina next year. Definitely. And in fact, I think what I, I think I'm not going to give you an exclusive here because I'm not, allowed to say, I think there'll be one, uh, ex league of Ireland winner in, in his squad next
0: year. Oh, wow. I, uh,
1: yeah, I, I guess I could probably
0: like join the dots and see who it is, but... Uh. Uh, yeah, you probably could, you probably could, but well, I don't say,
1: because I was told not to say.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think um, since I started doing the podcast, like I started off uh, just a couple of lads just talking football and then I started interviewing people during COVID. I, I kind of sat down one day and I was like, I, you know, I'm really surprised by the amount of Irish people that play in the USL It's and it's just such a great um it's such a great level and I've interviewed quite a few like Niall McCabe uh, who's been there his whole career and it's just amazing to me that uh guys like that are able to who probably wouldn't have got a chance back home whatsoever uh, now developed a whole career for themselves and a life for them in the states but the, the worrying thing for me like looking looking like back at Ireland is like you know Damien just became manager of Shelburne and he kind of was criticizing the system and the setup back at home. Um, do you think? Do you think that we're struggling uh, at home after the whole big FAI the battle like of what the the delay years kind of created? And like, is there
1: a way out of it for us so that we don't lose so much talent going forward? In terms of player reduction, I don't think we're suffering too badly. I think there's a lot of talent coming through. Um, I actually think Bruce Doctor just left the role of the FEI High Performance Director the other day. Um, I think he's done some some good stuff. Um, I think the the establishment of the the kind of underage leagues. So there's now you know an SSE or Trinity league, under 19, 17, 15, and 13 um, leagues. Very very important. Um, and I think the idea for the FEI going forward is the establishment of a kind of pyramid. System, I think that's what um, Jonathan Hill, the uh, new CEO, wants to do. So they're talking about even putting in a new, in the next maybe two years, putting in a a third tier. So a kind of um, your Premier Division, First Division, Second Division, um, which I think is is, is something that would, would keep us on the right track there. Um, I think the pyramid system is important. I think the youth system, as I say, linking up those leagues and giving the clubs the basis for having a youth structure. Okay, so here is previously s- s- clubs had various different teams at various different age groups, and there was nowhere really sort of constant that you would put them. And it was all a mess, and really. um, It was all regionalized and, and done by districts, and it was a bit of a mess. Now it, it, it's better, and now there's a clear pathway for those players coming all the way through to first-team level, um, which I think is a really good thing um I, I i think i think irish football is in a reasonably sort of positive place um i don't think the john delaney stuff and the fei sort of crisis will derail things too badly the only sense it may be what i feel is is obviously financially the fei is in a is in a financial rut due to years of mismanagement and overspent so you know th- that's something they're gonna to have to deal with. But but I think I think maybe the uh, the horizon is fairly bright.
0: That's that's good to hear. You know, it's uh, I, I try to watch as much as I can back home and uh it's you know, uh obviously there's in Dundalk there's a bit of craziness going on, but the rest of the league seems pretty settled and uh, you know, um it the fact that all the teams managed to get through COVID without going to the wall was a huge plus and the, the league of Ireland TV thing that they came up with was a great idea and stuff like that. So yeah. And there's actually people here in, in Halifax in, in Canada that, I've been watching some of the games. I've been trying to get people into it. And um, I'm a Shamrock Rovers fan. So one of the guys I know is the Bohemians fans. That's the effect of having uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I have people. But yeah, I don't want to keep you here all night. But so I was just wondering, like, if you want to... Uh, I, I found the book on Kindle because it wasn't in the store here in, in, in Canada. Oh. But if people want to follow yourself and uh, the, the books... Instagram, where do they need to go to find it? And um, yeah, as I said, like here in Canada,
1: it's available in Kindle. Where can people find it at home? Uh, Yeah, so if you want to follow us uh, online, we are on Twitter at Emerald Exiles. We are on Instagram at Emerald Exiles. Um, And the book is available um, pretty much anywhere in Ireland. You can get it in Easton's, in Waterstones, all your independent bookstores will have it. And if they don't have it, just ask and they'll order it for you. Um, and obviously it's online as well. It's on um, the Easons website and it's on Amazon and the usual places where you buy books. And yeah, as you say, it's on Kindle and there's an ebook version as well. So um, any kind of device or uh, reader, you can get it there as well. So everybody that was featured in the book, did you uh, did you
0: have to send them out a free copy? Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a downside of
1: there. Right? <laughs> of no, no, it's not a downside at all. We 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 worked that into the. We worked that into the printing. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. Make sure we make sure we print fifteen or twenty extra, and a few of you here as well for me I need so, I know um, it. Yeah, it's... no, no. Everyone, everyone, gets one. It's the least they can do. Because in fairness, like the the amount of interview time, like I actually had a lot of help actually because I'm doing the interviews and writing the book. I needed help to do all the transcriptions because I'm talking to people for hours upon hours upon hours upon, hours upon it. I had so much audio. And it's amazing, actually. Like, I'm, I'm proud of the book. I'm proud of the way it's worked out. But there is so much good stuff that didn't even make the book. So much interesting material that didn't make the book. Um, and I'm trying to figure out ways how to use it. Y- you know, like, the least I could do is give people a copy because they gave me hours upon hours of their time. And they were really open and honest as well. That's one thing I'd say about all the interviewees. They were, they were great. I
0: love it. Uh, hopefully there's a podcast series in the future. Um and- Maybe. Just before I let you go, I did actually I wore my Boston Rovers t shirt just especially for you. So Nice. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. I I love that uh there's a there's there's a company here in the states that does like all retro um oh, cool. uh, f- football jerseys I, I got like a washington generals one as well and i saw this and i didn't even know the story behind it and then i looked it up and i sort of realized that liam tooie and all these shamrock rovers players yeah. had come over and played in boston so yeah man it's uh <laughs> it's yeah, cool. I, I it. yeah yeah so um I, I really appreciate you giving me so much time i'm sorry about the little bit of uh Technical uh, issues at the beginning, man. It's been great talking to you, and the book's amazing. Uh, It's keeping the great. You've been listening to the Down the Pulp podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepulp.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers.